This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Really happy for what happened in the last four or five days to beat uh, probably the best two teams in Europe. It's not an easy thing to do. So a lot of credit for the players for what they are doing, the performances and, and the level of fight and decision that they are showing the pitch. The way they are fighting for each other. And then the fact that at the moment I have the feeling that I can play any of those players and they're going to respond and they're going to perform. We changed a few players when we played on Wednesday, when we played today and, and look at the way they are performing. We are always agree with the plan that uh, we have in place. The communication are really clear and loud. It's about the possibilities that we're going to have and at the moment we have some uncertainties. The way we finish the season, if we are in Europe, if we win it, it will help, obviously, because financially we will be stronger. And um, and that's why we have to be a little bit patient. On the Ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Arsenal boss Mikel Arteta speaking after his side dumped out the FA Cup holders, Man City, to reach the FA Cup final. On the Ball with me, Ross, and my very special guests, uh, Keshika Subarau. Hello, Keshika. Hello, everyone. First time since lockdown we've seen you. Looking good, Keshika. Uh, that doesn't work on radio. Yeah, um, hello to Nicholas Anil as well. Hello, Nick. We're coming up, Ross. We're coming up. We're coming up. We're coming up. We're coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's referring to Leeds United, of course. Suddenly, they all come out of the woodwork, <laughs> don't they, Craig Wilkie? Well, it's good to have so, so many people have something to celebrate on the show, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Not all of us, not all of us. Um, tweet us at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. And you know, we've started a YouTube channel, uh, TFIF on video. So check us out and, and give us a subscribe. Go on, be a nice person. Do something good today. Uh, let's look back then at the weekend's FA Cup semi-finals. Arsenal 2, Man City 0. We heard Mikel Arteta uh, at the start, Kashika, it's been an amazing week for the Arteta project, beating Liverpool on Wednesday and then uh, Man City on Saturday. I mean, it's uh, initially when Arteta first took over, everyone had doubts because he's a young manager. He's never managed a club at this level before. So it's kind of surprising. But at the same time, I feel like he's learned from the best. So it's kind of expected, but it's a bit shocking to see him beat Man City. Um, Arsenal were impressive. They, they played to a plan. I mean, against Liverpool, Craig, they, they were okay holding possession. They were okay going back. It's a new Arsenal. We've never seen this before. So Arteta has obviously brought something to this side, right? He's, he's brought a lot to this side. And there's a lot more that he will still bring to this side, I think. It's clear that he was a very influential figure at City under Pep. Not only in what he learned there, but I think he was actually responsible for for some of the very good things that happened during that time. And you can tell even that Pep has missed him since he's moved on. And I think he's trying to bring that philosophy, that style of play to Arsenal. And we saw some incredible evidence of that at the weekend. I mean, the, the first goal, the build-up from the back, playing it, playing it around in your own penalty area, involving the goalkeeper. I mean, it's an enormously high-risk strategy. And we, we actually saw a few times where they tried to do that and lost the ball in, in very dangerous areas. So... They're not there yet, and they will suffer a little bit as they progress, as they try to play that way. But when it works, as it did for that goal, it was absolutely sublime. And just the confidence that those players have got now from playing in that way, the manager believes in them. He wants them to take responsibility on the ball. He wants them to play in a certain way. 
they're still they're still a work in progress for sure. But you yeah. can see the confidence, you can see what's happening, and you know they'll they'll feel confident going into the final. That's for sure. Yeah, Nicholas Arnil, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, world class striker. How important is it for the Arsenal to tie this man down? For goodness' sake, it should be the first order of business, Ross. Uh, there's nothing else more important than getting uh, Aubameyang to sign on. Statistically, I've read a couple of articles. Arsenal are significantly depleted without his presence. More to the more to the percentage of almost thirty percent when Abumayang doesn't play. You know, he adds so much of of quality into that squad, um, and his finishing is second to none. You know, I think there were a little bit of doubts when uh, he made the transfer from Dortmund because of his very uh, exuberant lifestyle. You know, they were scared that he was going to be swayed by the leer of London. You know, uh, the 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 nightlife because he's kind of a very swanky guy. You know, but He's taken to Arsenal like duck to water. And whenever he's been uh, given the chance, whenever he's been put through on goal, you know the percentage of him finding the net is you know, almost 100%. And again, you know, he didn't need many chances against uh, Man City. No doubt that you know, City's uh, main, def- uh, main weakness is in their defence. And uh, Abu Mayang knows that uh, you know, he just needs a couple of chances to find the back of the net. And you know, two wonderful assists was completed uh, with a plumb. Yeah, yeah. All right. We'll, we'll talk about City in a few moments. But, but Keshka, um, before we leave off Arsenal, we often talk about David Luiz. We often guffaw at David Luiz. But uh, let's, let's give credit where credit is due. The man was an absolute rock. And he was one of the reasons why uh, Arsenal won the game, right? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the times people make fun of David Luiz for obvious reasons. But I think... That's not always the case. He doesn't always have the players that he need around him to provide the performance. So I think now you can kind of see glimpses of that and I think you'd have to give him credit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Craig, Man City, for all their plaudits, the, the, the purest style, etc., etc. Um, they're beatable because they have a soft centre. And, and Pep, I mean, let's face it, he had to address it at the start of this season, didn't. He's got to do it uh, in the window, right? You're absolutely spot on. That's, that's exactly it. And the, the strange thing, as you just mentioned, is that it's been obvious for some time now. And we know that he's not had an issue with spending money in the past. It's a very expensively assembled squad. It's one of those squads where we've always talked about, you know, almost two first 11s. You always look at the strength and depth that they have on the bench and the, the quality that they can bring on. But that type of player, especially since company retired, just a little bit of, of softness in, in the heart of that side. And teams will feel as though they can get at them. They've proved that over the course of this season. The City have still looked very good going forward. They create a lot of chances. But defensively, there are a lot of doubts. And I fully expect the checkbook to be out when the transfer window opens. And I'm sure defensively and maybe defensive midfield as well will be where the priority is for City. Yeah, yeah. Um, good shout. Arsenal then have reached the FA Cup final a record 21 times. They have also won the competition more than any other side. They've won it 13 times and and they're going for the 14th. They will be facing Chelsea in the final in a fortnight because Man United won Chelsea 3. Keshka, David De Gea endured a Wembley nightmare. Um, Is it a loss of form or are we seeing... The degradation of a football great here. One thing I don't understand is usually for FA Cup, we use Romero. 
And then suddenly they had to make the switch to De Gea. So I'm not sure what happened there. I think if I was Ole, I would stick to Romero. It's not fair to Romero. Yeah, it's a double-edged thing what Ole's done. You've kind of knocked Romero's confidence now, as well as De Gea, obviously, right? Yeah, the thing is, maybe it's a last-minute decision. Is that why De Gea doesn't seem like fully, he's fully prepared? I'm not quite sure, but I don't understand why he did that with um, the goalkeepers, as well as leaving out people like Mason Greenwood on the bench, Pogba on the bench. I don't think I understand what was his thought process yesterday night. Yeah, strange formation, Nicholas Arnil. Um, was he? Did he have an eye Ole, on, on, on the midweek? Do you reckon he prioritised the league? It seems to be that the uh, Champions League uh, spot is is very much high on his list. But I again, you know, I have to concur with uh, Kashika. I do not understand the justification of leaving Greenwood out, of leaving Pogba out, of leaving Martial out. You know, pairing Rashford and Ben James did not did not uh, take off from the get go. You know, it took United uh, what over 50 minutes to try and register a first shot on target. You know, like the first half they was completely outclassed uh, by United. So it was a uh, a formation that completely backfired and you know going back to Digia Romero has absolute uh, reason to feel uh, un- uh, undone by, by by the decision because uh, Digia just wasn't himself as he has been uh, you know in the last few weeks and um, so yeah it, it was ultimately the downfall the wrong tactics uh, and uh, the, the decision of the goalkeeper I could have saved Mason Mount shot with just my left hand just the one hand <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Craig, I'm showing off now. Craig Wilkie, um, De Gea mistakes aside, Frank Lampard's Chelsea were in complete control of this semi-final. And a lot of it is down to the performance of that 33-year-old Frenchman they've got up front. Um, they said he was surplus. Well, many people said he was surplus to, to requirements, but he's proved otherwise, hasn't he? Oh, he certainly has. And... Um... What a, what a player to have in your squad. What an option to have to bring into the team. And Lampard's actually used him relatively sparingly this season, Giroud. I've been a little bit surprised that he hasn't started more often because almost every time that he plays, he, he brings something to the team. Whether he's scoring or not, he's got that ability to, to bring others into the game around him. I know Tammy Abraham started the season so well and he kind of locked down that centre-forward place for a while. But as, as the season has gone on, Giroud has really proved his worth. And I think it was, you know, we talked about the perhaps slightly surprising decisions that Solskjaer made in terms of team selection. And I can understand prioritizing the league over the FA Cup, but these players, you know, they had a long break. I think they would have been able to cope with the sort of schedule that they're on right now. Especially if brought them on anyway. Yeah, exactly. And Lampard's used his squad, to me, very wisely over the last few weeks since the, the league resumed. Uh, he knows he's going to have additions coming into that squad in the summer. So things are looking very bright for Chelsea fans. Uh, I know they've got a slightly tough run into the season, but they're still looking good potentially now for a Champions League place. Yeah. FA Cup final to look forward to. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty good first season all in, if you're Frank Lampard. Not bad for a novice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Keshka, I, I, I know we, we, we talk about David De Gea and, and all the mistakes and all that, but you, you're a Man United fan. I'm a United fan. I watched the game and, and Victor Lindelof, to me, was super dodgy. He has been for quite a lot of this season. Uh, he's supposed to be the pace to Maguire's know-how. And, you know, he, he gets beaten left, right and centre. People get in front of him. And, and he a bit of a liability, isn't he? I think Lindelof, uh, 
maybe his at the end of his career i'm not sure because he's quite slow he doesn't react as fast as he needs to usually especially when we're under pressure and i it does make me think is he the reason maguire sometimes makes certain decisions that looks ridiculous to us because you have that influence and i don't think he trusts Lindelof as much as he should so i think if i it was me i would definitely leave him out more often mm. all right uh well done chelsea so chelsea arsenal in a fortnight uh, Mason Mount, incidentally, becomes the first Englishman to score for Chelsea at Wembley since John Terry in the 2015 <laughs> League Cup final against Spurs. You really wanted to know that, didn't you? We're off for our first break. Uh, stick around. Back right after this. This match would normally have over 80,000 pairs of eyes trained on it, but now... On the ball on BFM 89.9. And once more, footballers of all racial backgrounds take a knee to express a united opinion that black lives matter. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Craig Wilkie, Nicholas Arnil and Kashka Subarau uh, talking football with me. Now, uh, a few matches from match week 37 were played over the weekend. Norwich, we know, are already relegated. Uh, Nicholas Arnil, not only are they relegated, they, they, they're going to go down with the worst record. They, they had two red cards in the first half. You don't need to give Burnley uh, a, a head start in a football match, do you? Yeah, I think it was one of the most atrocious performances by any team <laughs> in the English League this season. You know, the fact that they're going down is one thing, you know, but you should show some fight. You should show some sort of intent and at least, you know, give your opponents are run for their money. The two red cards were absolutely needless. You know, one, uh, one a blatant shove and the other one was a high, high, high challenge. Um, and uh, the game was lost in the first half itself. And to compound everything, uh, they went on and scored their own goal, which sealed uh, Burnley's victory. You know? yeah. But the Norwich problems, you know, uh, have, have been uh, around since the start of the season. This wasn't, uh, you know, uh, something that uh, we've just come to see. You know, they, they did not... Uh, have a good squad coming into the Premier League. They, I think they, they, they may have underestimated uh, the Premier League to a certain extent because, you know, there were just a couple of uh, uh, signings. You know, they depended heavily on uh, Timo Kuki. And while he did deliver to, uh, at the start of the season, you know, when he paid it, so did the entire team. And uh, Daniel Parker just hasn't been uh, able to revitalize the team. And it has shown week in, week out. And uh, yeah, deservedly going to go down. But more importantly, I'm just worried... Uh, you know, if they have that capacity to come back up because we know the championship mm. is such a tough, tough division, you know. And once you go back down, it's not going to, it's not going to be that easy to well, you know, one thing come you, back you up can, again. Yeah, one thing you can say in Norwich's favour is they are a footballing side. So if they keep a lot of their players together and, and if, they, if Daniel Farker remains or if they get a good manager, who knows. But Burnley, Craig Wilkie, 15th Premier League win of the season for Burnley. It's a club record. Sean Dyche is often overlooked for big jobs. Why is that? That's a very good question. It's a remarkable statistic, the one that you just mentioned. Um, it came as a surprise to me. I know they've had a decent season, but actually that ability to, to turn you know, performances into results and victories, especially with three points for a win, you know, rather than just picking up points. And that, that's what he's been able to do. And he's, he's really... You know, the squad that he's built and the way he's got that team playing, they're so solid. You know, nobody ever gets an easy time against Burnley. You don't see them getting beat 3-4-0 even against the big teams very often. You know, they're, they're very solid. They're very compact. And actually, the, the thing that's easy to forget is that they actually have some quality going forward as well. I mean, yeah. you know, look, at, look, at, look at the first goal that they scored. You know, I, 
of course, there was a lot of assistance from Norwich in terms of how the whole game went. But um, you know, they've got some good attacking players. But if you ever want to see, it, yeah, six foot five plus guy doing overhead <laughs> kick, watch <laughs> exactly. that. Yeah, watch the highlights. <laughs> you don't see that. You don't see that every weekend. No. Um, I I think for Daesh himself, it's a little bit of an image issue. You know, he's maybe seen as slightly old school. You know, mm, there's mm. maybe a bit of a fashion for foreign managers um, for a lot of club owners. You know, it's probably something that Steve Bruce has maybe suffered from a little bit this season as well. Yeah. Maybe even Eddie Howe um, when he was in more successful times at, at Bournemouth. But you look at a record like that and clubs have got to be interested in somebody who can build a squad like that. And, and so consistently, he's done it now for three or four seasons you know, with yeah. Burnley at that level. Yeah. It's, it's overachievement for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Got to mention, Nick Pope kept his 15th clean sheet of the season. Uh, Pope is on course to become the first goalie from a club outside the established Big Six to win the Golden Glove Award. Um, so that's Burnley, bye-bye Norwich. Uh, it looks like it could be bye-bye Bournemouth as well. Uh, Bournemouth nil, Southampton 2. Eddie Howe was devastated. Sam Surridge's uh, uh, extra-time equaliser ruled out correctly, has to be said, by VAR. But, um, yeah, Burnley, well, uh, sorry, Burnley, Bournemouth, Kashika, um, they're doomed, aren't they? I mean, they, they still have a fighting chance, but they, they look bereft of confidence. I mean, when you look at the manager and the player's face, when that goal went in and then a VAR after, immediately after, you already know how much that game meant to them. But I think it's sad to see Bournemouth potentially being relegated, especially when in the past they used to be one of those teams that, when, especially when you go to their home, mm. they're next to impossible to beat. And then now they're at the relegation zone. I don't think um, that's a good reflection of Eddie Howe's uh, managerial talents. But it is what it is now. It is, absolutely. Nine defeats in their last 12 games. How important um, is Fraser? You, you know, the, the winger? What, what, I forget his full name. Ryan Fraser. Ryan, Ryan Fraser. Fraser. There you go. I thought he was probably their best player last season. So he, he, his contract was running out. They thought they was going to leave. He was ostracized by, by Howe. Eddie Howe saying you, he's not going to play further part in the season. You can't afford to lose a player of, of that kind of quality when you're Bournemouth, uh, can you, Craig Wilkie? No, it was, I mean, I don't know what went on behind the scenes for, for that to have occurred because, as you, as you mentioned, he was at one point, he was absolutely their star man. And yeah. it seemed as though all, the, all their creativity, all their attacking options were, were going through him. He was creating a lot of chances. He was scoring goals. He was performing well for the Scottish national team as well. You know, he was, we, were, we were quite happy with him <laughs> up north as well and again as you say it's it's very difficult to understand why in a situation like that when your team is struggling if you've got a player who does have that quality and who can win you games and that's what you need when you're when you're down there really struggling that in those tight matches that one little bit of magic I mean we you look at the impact that someone like Danny Ings has had for Southampton yeah, you know, those, yeah. one player one player at that level can make such a difference if they can create something or if they can nick a goal Fraser always had that in him presumably still does so it's a bit of a mystery why he's not been playing mm. Uh, Danny Ings missed the chance to bag his 22nd because uh, penalty was, was saved by, by the Bournemouth goalie, uh, Aaron Ramsdale. Um, so Bournemouth still have theoretically a, a fighting chance going into the final weekend of the season. Let's talk about Spurs 3, uh, Leicester nil, Nicholas Arnil. Leicester were, well, have been top four all for most part of the, of the season. 
I know they're guaranteed Europa League football, but it's got to be a bit deflating if they don't make Champions League, right? And, and they, they look pretty bad against Spurs. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Jose Mourinho's Spurs look really good against Leicester. Yeah, this was Jose Mourinho's, uh, you know, masterclass performance, you know, counter-attacking football at its very best. You know, they let uh, Leicester have the ball, uh, but they did not allow them to do much with the ball. And whenever Spurs got the ball and they were launching their own counter-attacks, they just looked so, so deadly. And there was nothing that uh, Leicester could do about either goals. You know, the double from Harry Kane was just absolutely magnificent. Yeah. Um, but the coronavirus... Uh, break has really affected Brendan Rodgers. You know, they were flying uh, before the break and, you know, they've lost a lot of their momentum. Uh, Jamie Wadi has, has been seen uh, in patches, you know, and uh, perhaps uh, not the best support from the supporting cast as well. You know, IOZ Perez, you know, Ndidi, James Madison has been missing for a while as well. Mm. So, you know, it's a culmination of all this uh, that has really jeopardized their, their chances of the Champions League. And uh, it's, it's really deflating because... You know, they were, they were shoe in to, to, for a top four spot. And now they have to go into the last game of the season. Playing against United, who would have their tails up, who would be in the driving seat, you know, if they win uh, this midweek match. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, Leicester would, would really feel that, you know, they, they missed an opportunity here. Mm. Um, Kashika, um, Spurs, well, um, they, they didn't totally boss it. I mean, they, they had to thank Hugo Lloris in goal. I remember him making a, a few good saves. You look at Jose Mourinho's Tottenham, he's inherited a pretty good side with Lloris, with Son, with Kane and all that. He should be doing what he's doing, right? If you're, get, if you're getting paid as much as Jose Mourinho. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like as much as they, they did really well last night, if you look back in the previous fixtures, they barely get past like 1-0 and then certain games where you expect them to win easily, they yeah. don't perform. So I don't think that this one game changes that. Uh, Leicester are not on form at the moment and like Nicholas said they have their own issues but I don't think Spurs did this 3-0 as it's, it should be taken as a very good performance right now <laughs> It's as good as you're going to get from Jose's boys um, Alright, uh, let, let's wrap up this segment with the, the shock news I guess of the weekend Watford have sacked Nigel Pearson it, I, maybe it's the Italian way of saying thank you for saving us from relegation. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but it's the third manager they've sacked this season after getting rid of Javi Garcia and Kiki Sanchez Flores. Um, you almost, Nicholas Arnold, you almost want Watford to go down now because of this. If only <laughs> they can take Bournemouth and Aston Villa's place. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's quite an astonishing decision. Uh, I don't think it's going to change the fact, you know, that uh, a tactical manager is going to improve the team's fortunes in the next two games. You know, what Watford should have done is just, you know, stuck with, with Nigel Pearson. I mean, yes, the results have been bad, but, you know, he has changed the team to a certain extent. And uh, regardless of, of this new change, you know, Watford are still against the ropes. You know, they most likely, they, they might still survive, you know, if they can pull off a result against both uh, Arsenal and uh, United, I think. Uh, but um, really, I think uh, Pearson has his lot to feel unjust by. You know, he came in in December uh, after Kiki Sanchez Flores was sacked after mm. a few months. Mm. You know, um, and uh, this this sacking has really you know um, sort of uh, undone his reputation. Uh, uh, he didn't have the best of uh, reigns uh, even in his his previous club. You know, but but he he is a quality manager. You know, he is actually the one who set Leicester on 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 the path to winning the. the 
Premier League not too long ago. And I, I thought he's been undone with the list of injuries that has happened. You know, Gerard Delafue has been a big miss for them as well. Yeah. Uh, Troy Dini as well. Um, and so he hasn't had the quality to, to really you know, transform this Watford side. And uh, it's, it's, it's just a shocking move by the management. Well, uh, the official word from the club is that they fear the consequences if Watford lost both their final fixtures of the season. Uh, and they are against Man City and Arsenal. As it stands, Watford need one point from those two remaining games uh, to relegate Bournemouth or, and or Aston Villa. Right, that's that. We're going for a break. When we come back, we shall be talking about the championship. Stay tuned. That's it. It's all over. This is a big win. On the ball on BFM 89.9 has come up with uh, something beyond the ordinary. That is a brilliantly elastic save. This is On The Ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back. On The Ball with me, Ross, along with Craig Wilkie, Nicholas Arnil and Keshka Subarau. Uh, you can get in touch. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, we've started a YouTube channel, don't you know? Uh, do check it out and give us a subscribe. It's TFIF on video. We have a bit fresh video out every Friday, previewing the football of the weekend. Right, we're talking championship now, and I'm turning to you first, Nicholas Arnil, because you're wearing your Leeds United top. <laughs> Leeds, of course, crowned champions. Um, it was a much-changed Leeds side that, that marked their first game since promotion. They, they even got the guard of honour from Wayne Rooney and Derby County. Uh, they did come from behind to win 3-1. Now, the big thing about Leeds is get Marcello Bielsa to sign, sign a striker, etc., etc., right? Yes. First order of business is to sign uh, Bielsa. Um, to commit him to at least a two-year deal uh, I think the negotiations are already underway uh, to get him signed up. Uh, but what what uh, a performance by Leeds this season! You know, it's completed 16 years of agony uh, for all Leeds United fans uh, across the world. I can tell you, it's not been easy being a Leeds United fan for the last 16 years, especially if you're supporting them from this side of the world. You know, it's to, to follow matches. You know, we, we we get we get the news from the internet, but to watch matches, you know, we've had to reduce ourselves to audio commentary watching it off someone else's TV at times. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a very roller coaster ride, especially after last season, you know, when we were top and we were basically dominating every single team in the division uh, right up till the, the, the most crucial stage and, and we lost it. And there were a lot of doubts about uh, whether Bielsa would stay on and whether a lot of the uh, players would actually stay on. Uh, but credit to the management. They managed to get, uh, managed to persuade uh, Bielsa to commit to another year and keep the core players. And um, Leeds have responded so emphatically. They have uh, dominated the league uh, by, by results and every single stat available. Uh, most wins, most shot on target, uh, best uh, clean sheet, um, and deservedly so, uh, making a return after 16 years. Uh, and like you mentioned, uh, after Bielsa signs a deal, we need a quality striker because this whole season, we've been pretty much playing with one striker, Patrick Bamford. Mm. Um, I, I haven't seen any other team which has done that. But we've made it work. Uh, we definitely need a, a one striker. We need a couple of wingers. We need centre-backs. Uh, it has to be reinforcements. Uh, but I am seeing Leeds returning, not to just make up the numbers next season, but to be back within 10. 
Okay. Um, they've been good fun to watch. I, I've been, I, I watched them a couple of times. Kashka, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Just, just a, a, a pre-season prediction, if you like. How do you reckon Leeds will do next season? Do you reckon they'll survive? Do you reckon they'll fight relegation? Do you reckon they'll be a pleasant surprise to the league? How do you reckon it'll pan out? I think there will be a pleasant surprise to the league because I've been following Bielsa for quite a while and I think every coach would tell you the same thing. Everyone follows Bielsa's coaching ways and he's not afraid to try a new method. He doesn't have reservation in terms of doing things a certain way. He's, he's good at adapting to different things. So I think he'll do really well in the Premier League. I think you could see, I could see Leeds being like a team like Wolves maybe, doing quite well and surprising everyone. Yeah, yeah, good shout, good shout. All right, um, we'll, we'll, we'll hold you to that. We'll record that and, and come back to that next season. Uh, Barnsley won, Nottingham Forest nil. Barnsley by themselves some time near the bottom of the, the championship. Uh, of course, the championship ends uh, midweek, the final round's on Wednesday. But uh, a little bit about Hull City, Craig Wilkie. Once upon a time, they were a Premier League team, weren't they? They're on the verge of dropping into League One. First time since 2005. Clubs can go this way. They can literally go from Premier League to League One to League Two, can't they? They certainly can. That's absolutely the nature of the championship. Every time I, I look at that league, it just astonishes me. I, I think it's the most competitive league in world football. I think in many ways it's the most exciting league in world football. Every season it offers up so much drama and excitement and entertainment. And it always seems to be the case that we get to this point where we're coming into the last round of fixtures and there's still so much to play for. You know, either the, the title is still up for grabs and that's not the case this season, but with the playoff system as well, mm. you've got so many clubs still scrapping it out to see who's going to qualify for that. Down, down at the bottom, the relegation dogfight is, is absolutely intense in the championship this year. You know, you've got four or five clubs who are still trying to scramble for survival. It's as all going open going into yet. Wednesday. It's and crazy. Exactly. So, it's going to be one of those rounds whereby I think all the games will kick off at the same time, right? Yeah. So over the, course of the, over the course of the 90 minutes, we'll have the live league update where at some point, you know, two, two teams will be heading down and then it can all turn around in the last 10 minutes and that kind of stuff. So it, it's, it's a wonderful advert for, for English football. Um, I agree with um, Keshika and Nick. I think Leeds will be a fantastic addition to the Premier League. They're just such a huge club. And it's really struck me that a lot of other supporters have have welcomed their return. I think the, the prospect of those games against Leeds is something that's, that's got people excited for next season. And yeah, the championship just continues to deliver. It's fantastic. I, fantastic. I, I, I read something really funny on social media. Someone said, uh, oh my goodness, Leeds United have really received more respect on social media than Man City have for the last decade. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny. Um, all right, uh, Nicholas Anil, Alexandra Mitrovic is the championship's leading marksman. 26 goals this season. He stayed at Fulham. It was, it was a big boon for Fulham to, to keep him there. Um, he looks like he's going to fire Fulham into at least the championship playoff spot. There for me, Fulham are, are the other team I quite enjoy watching in the championship. Yes, uh, they've been very steady in terms of their management uh, under Scott Parker. You know, even when he took over, I think midway through uh, last season, he actually delivered. Uh, Fulham did produce some results and uh, they knew from then on that he was the man to try and get them back uh, to the Premier League. And in, 
in, in order for them to do so, they needed to keep players like Mitrovic, you know, and he has continued scoring, you know. He delivered last year, he was undoubtedly their star man, you know, and uh, he's now uh, plotted in the goals to keep them in the playoff spot. I don't think they're going to get uh, automatic promotion, but they're definitely going to be uh, among the favourites to, to win the playoff and then try and get back into the uh, uh, Premier League. Um, I'm actually very, very uh, surprised to see that Mitrovic continued playing because he was supposed to be handed a uh, longer match ban uh, when That's he right, played yeah. against Leeds. You know, that elbow uh, warranted more than a three-match suspension. But, you know, thankfully for him, he was on the pitch, you know, and he's continued to score goals. And uh, Fulham are really, really going to need his services in the last game of the season. Okay, well, Cardiff are also pushing for a top-six place. Uh, 3-1 win at Middlesbrough. The, the, the shock, I guess, was Brentford losing at Stoke. Uh, which was a, a, a knock. Uh, Brentford would have been up into second, missed out on an automatic uh, playoff chance. Birmingham are in relegation trouble as they, they head to the final day of the season. So on Wednesday then, or rather Thursday morning our time, um, Birmingham against Derby County, uh, Brentford against Barnsley, you've got Bristol City against Preston, Cardiff against Hull, that could relegate Hull. Leeds against Charlton. Uh, Charlton, I guess, were my closest London club when I used to live there. <laughs> uh, Millwall against Huddersfield. Nottingham Forest against Stoke City. Uh, who for you, Craig Wilkie, uh, are going to make the, the, the playoff spots at the moment? It's Brentford, Fulham, Forest and Cardiff. So you've still got Swansea uh, are in with, with a chance. Uh, Preston outside chance, but it looks like the rest are quite safe. Brentford really missed out on a chance to to gain automatic promotion, didn't they? Yeah, I think we're all keeping an eye on Forest. Bob will probably write another book if uh, Forest <laughs> managed to make Forest managed to make it up. It's in the um, making now, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, at least being drafted. Um, but I, I think when you come down to the the final game of the season. Those who are already in position have the advantage because they've got something to hang, hang on to and they're not relying on results from elsewhere. So those who are already occupying those places will probably just have that little bit of extra confidence and momentum going into that final round of fixtures. But I mean, anything could happen. And even I think Fulham are a great example of just how tough the championship is because we've seen it time and time again that clubs come down from the Premier League and even with all the advantages of parachute payments and the like, they don't bounce straight back up very often. So once you get down into that league, Anybody can beat anybody. It's so tough. And I think it's going to be a really exciting round of midweek fixtures we've got to look forward to. All right. Excellent stuff. That is your championship wrap. Uh, we're going for another break. When we come back, then we'll start previewing uh, match week 37 for you. This is On The Ball on BFM 89.9. Two-goal lead, a picture for goal, and that should be job done. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Myself, Ross, along with Nicholas Anil, Craig Wilkie, and Keshka Subarau, here to preview match week 37. Of course, uh, some games were played over the weekend, but uh, Monday night, tonight, or rather tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, Brighton will take on Newcastle. Um, it was a 1-1 draw with Southampton uh, last time out. Uh, both teams, I guess, with not a lot to play for, Kashika. Uh, but 
Brighton have been good. They're unbeaten in, in, in all five Premier League meetings with Newcastle. You, you could say, I guess, uh, both have done quite well this season, Brighton and Newcastle, right? Yeah, I think Brighton and Newcastle were quite surprising this season. They, they both had good run. But I think Brighton started off the season a bit better. And then we had this situation where every time a big team goes to the Amex Stadium, you pretty much have a tough time beating them, right? And then somewhere along mid-season, they kind of lost form and now they're back again. So I think for this game, I would say that Brighton probably has an upper hand with their current form as well. Okay, uh, team news there. Uh, Steven Alzate and Jose Esquiedo are out for Brighton. Uh, for Newcastle, they've they got eight players missing. I can't even go through the list. But they include Fabian Shah, who's probably their best defender. He dislocated his shoulder against Spurs. Uh, Alanson Maximan has a calf problem. Now, if, if he doesn't play, there's, there's a lot not working yeah. with Newcastle. Uh, that's a Tuesday, 1 a.m. kickoff, Brighton-Newcastle. Also kicking off Tuesday at 1 a.m. is Sheffield United versus Everton. Nicholas Arnil, um, Sheffield United still in with a shout of, of a Europa League spot, I, I guess. Um, but it's been a great season, right? Yeah, you know, when, uh, when the season started, I think if you had offered uh, Chris Wilder uh, a shot at you know, qualifying for Europe, you would have taken it in a heartbeat. And you know, it's been a testament of the team that has you know, performed not only this season, you know, the way they perform, they asserted themselves in the Champions League to get automatic promotion. I think of the three teams that were promoted uh, last season, Sheffield United were probably odds on to go back down. You know, but they've just uh, proved themselves with such a compact team, you know, such a disciplined side. Uh, and they've got the goals to go along with it as well. You know. uh, Chris Wilder has molded them into such a team. Um, and yes, uh, they, they have more interest in this game than Everton. You know. Everton has also been uh, sort of wishy-washy mm. so far. And I, I can see uh, Sheffield United uh, you know, taking three points from this and really boosting their chances for Europe. Yeah. Um... All right, Carlo Ancelotti is a big name manager. Uh, uh, he, he's at Everton. Um, yeah, it's not his side, we understand, Craig Wilkie, but how much time does Carlo Ancelotti need at Everton? For example, okay, let, let's write off this season now. What do we expect of Everton next season under Ancelotti? That's a very good question. I would almost put it the other way around is how much time is Ancelotti prepared to spend? you know, to get what yeah. he wants to achieve out, out of that project, which is why I feel for Everton, it's so crucial that they make the most use of however long he's there. And especially when it comes to, for example, the, the transfer window that's coming up, they will have an opportunity, I believe, to attract a better quality of player purely by the fact that he's the manager and that players might be willing to consider going to Goodison in order to play under, under him. And so, it would make sense to me to get the checkbook out and actually try and bring in some real quality for, for him to be able to work with going into next season and then really start to push on and try and, you know, make Everton contenders for, for Europe and so on as, as they once were, you know, the famous top six, you know, the Everton, the Everton Cup, basically, which was kind of where, where they finished for, yeah. for many seasons. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he definitely needs a bit of time, but he needs money as well. That, that's, that's the real question. How much will he have available to spend to bring in the players that he wants to play? Because I don't think it's really even obvious yet how he wants to, to mould that side because he hasn't really had a chance to, to make any additions to it so far. So okay. Summer. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sheffield United against Everton is a Tuesday 1 a.m. kickoff. Uh, Wolves, <clears throat> excuse me, Wolves versus Crystal Palace, Kashika, is a 3.15 a.m. kickoff. 
Wolves are chasing European football. What do you think of them? Uh, you, you said that they've been a breath of fresh air this season. You, you still think so? Go, heading towards the end of the season? Yeah, I think initially in the beginning of the season, we thought they were great. And then right after a few weeks later, they started dropping in form. Then everyone had questions whether they were good enough to stay on in the Premier League. But I think they've really shown that they are. Uh, what I really like about Wolves is how they molded the team and the manager. They didn't bring in any big name. They just kept the same team. They just kept going at it. So I think for this game, it's pretty much three points for Wolves. You say that, but Nicholas Arnil, I'm going to throw a stat at you here. Crystal Palace um, are actually going for three successive league victories against Wolves at Molyneux. That's no mean feat. I mean, you can argue that now Palace are at the beach on their summer holidays. They, they, they're not going down. They're safe. But it's a testament to how well Roy Hodgson has still got his senses together to, to actually manage the side. <laughs> yes, not bad for a 72-year-old man. Right? Uh, even though Palace... <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, at this point, it, it doesn't seem that Palace are capable of getting three points from anywhere, you know. The performances have not been the greatest. I think with the exception of the uh, narrow defeat against Chelsea, they have just not uh, you know, been able to score goals. You know, they've lost six on the trot. And uh, while they are already having half a mind at the beach, um, you know, there, there is still uh, two matches to play. Um, and you know, uh, I think they really need uh, this, this result just to boost some confidence uh, in the players. You know? uh, some of them are playing for, for next season as well. You know? Some of them are down to the last year of their contracts and, and there is still a lot to play for in that sense. So I expect Palace to try and give uh, this Wolves side uh, a fight. But as Kashika mentioned, you know, uh, Wolves with the form that they have been in, you know, despite the countless of matches that they've played throughout the season, still look favourites uh, to beat this struggling Palace side. Yeah, uh, you, you kind of expect a Raul Jimenez beauty every time Wolves play, don't you? Uh, Wolves Palace is a Tuesday 3.15am kickoff. Watford against Man City is Wednesday 1am, Craig Wilkie. This will be Hayden Mullins' first game in charge. Actually, he's been interim coach before at Watford. But yeah, I don't know. Part of me just wants Man City to absolutely wipe the floor with them. Uh, <laughs> just to, to, and, and then they all raise their shirts when they score. It's like, like saluting Nigel Pearson. You know, football wins. Yeah, that's true. The other thing I don't know is what the beaches are like in Wolverhampton, but um, the, I guess the Palace players can determine that for us later <laughs> on. But <laughs> Yeah, what, what for City, a bit of a strange game, really, with where they are respectively in their seasons now. I, I was just astonished by the decision that was made to get rid of Pearson. Uh, memories are so short in football, aren't they? You, you look at the, the state that they were in when he took over in December. I mean, they were, they were really more or less as Norwich are now. And at the time, we were talking about, well, Watford looked like the sides who were doomed. And now, even for all the troubles that they've had of late, and some of the performances, some of the results haven't been brilliant, there's still every chance that they're going to stay in the division. And maybe that's a little bit because some results have gone their way elsewhere, but they've still absolutely got a chance of staying up. And frankly, right now, I would, I would still back them to do so. so I, and I don't see what changing a manager, bringing in the academy coach for the last two games, what if any difference really that's going to be. Different if you've got a big name waiting in the, in the wings or something like that, but it's a very strange decision. And, and City too, I mean, they, they really need to bounce back a little bit from, from the weekend defeat. Mm. I know they, they're, they're preparing now for the Champions League. That's the, 
the big thing for them. So they, they want to try and rebuild a bit of momentum going into that because that's a massive game coming up against Madrid. So, yeah, a big, big game for City. I, I expect they'll, they'll have enough, though. All right. Uh, Aston Villa against Arsenal. Nicholas Arnil is a must win for Villa. Um, the fact that Bournemouth lost means that Villa are still alive. They've got worse goal difference than Bournemouth. So, first of all, they have to win this. But we've seen Villa week in, week out. They don't look like they, they have anything, do they? No, they don't. Uh, they have been a struggling side for the best part of the season. And I think that that crucial two win against uh, Palace was what is still keeping them in the league, you know. Uh, but they just don't have the quality, especially in the final third. You know, I look at the team, you know, they have depth. But you look like you look at players like Samata, you look at players like David Trezeguet, who, who did score, you know, but he's hot flashes, you know, he doesn't do it on a regular basis. You know, Keenan Davis is a young, young player, you know, who has been trusted, but, you know, he has also yet to produce the goods. Uh, and every time you talk about Villa, you know, you, you, you associate them with Jack Grealish, but, you know, they are not a one-man team, you know, you have all these players who should be, you know, performing as a team, especially at this crucial stage of the mm. season. Uh, and, you know, I expect them to, to go out there and give, the, give it all if they've got. Because when they do give it all they've got, we know that they have the quality to trouble teams and to cause an upset. Uh, but they really need to bring their A game. If not, you know, it's, it's goodbye to the Premier League. All right. It's a case of how tired are Arsenal after the weekend's exertions. Uh, Arsenal, uh, Aston Villa, Arsenal, Wednesday, 3.15 a.m. kickoff. Uh, Man United versus West Ham, Kashika. I have for you one question. Would you start David De Gea in goal for this one? Man United, West Ham, Thursday, 1 a.m. kickoff. I think Ole should definitely start De Gea in goal. He's already made that mistake with Romero. I think it would be very foolish to bring someone else, bring Romero in to try to fix the situation. Especially when keepers make mistakes. The manager should be the one to trust them first and keep them at the goal. Not replacing him for just a bad weekend, I guess. Okay. Uh, Liverpool versus Chelsea. Um, Liverpool will be handed the Premier League trophy on Wednesday night to 3.15 a.m. kickoff on Thursday morning. Uh, Craig Wilkie, I I don't think this is a a game where the result actually doesn't matter, but Chelsea will be anxious to get the points. So it will be competitive. I was going to say, the result doesn't matter for Liverpool, but it absolutely, absolutely does for Frank Lampard and Chelsea. I believe there's going to be fireworks at the game as Liverpool get presented with a trophy. They're already getting Anfield prepared and set up for what might be a little bit of a party. Uh, but yeah, Chelsea have much more riding on the game. I just hope that uh, Klopp plays some of the youngsters in this game um, because I feel as though in the last few games, I know there was all the talk of maybe you can get the, the points record and so on, but it seems to me the ideal opportunity to blood some of those youngsters, see if they really have the quality to step up and, and make an impact next season. And I was slightly surprised that even in the Arsenal game, for instance, that, that more of them didn't play. It was more or less a, a first-choice side that he put out. So if he's not going to give them a chance now, you know, other than in the, the League Cup and that sort of stuff, then it makes you wonder whether he has enough faith in them to really you know, come through and, and, and make, a, make a difference next season. So, and I also think Liverpool will need to strengthen. We've, I know it's some of the games mm. recently... The intensity has gone out of it, and that's understandable after the, the league was wrapped up. But there are definitely some areas of that squad that could, could use a bit of strengthening. So it'll be interesting to see what, if any, movement there is in the transfer market too. All right. Jordan Henderson will not play any part in the game, but he will lift the trophy after this match. Liverpool versus Chelsea, Thursday, 3.15 a.m. kickoff. Uh, that's it. We're done. So I've got to say thank you to Nicholas Arnil. Thank you, Ross. 
Thank you to Keshika. Thank you, everyone. And thanks to you, Craig Wilkie. Thank you, Ross. Pleasure as always. Yeah, we'll be back uh, on radio next Monday, but catch our video out on Friday. Bye now. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball on BFM 89.9. It is now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.